following Answers for Elders podcast features author, innovator, Alzheimer's and dementia family coach, Faith Marshall. And welcome everyone back to part two of our hour with the wonderful Faith Marshall. And we're here talking about family dynamics. How do you be the most supportive and, um, you know, work together well in the care of a loved one. And this is really a much more complex situation than what we realize. And Faith, we're really glad that you're back. And we talked a little bit about, you know, what goes on in families and how they um, process things. And boy, you know, when I was taking care of my mom, I could have used you 20 times over because (laughs) my family did not do well. So anyway, so fill me in. Obviously, we're going to talk this a segment a little bit about how you put together and you had mentioned a, a term called who's on first. Um, and I, I want to come back to that because we didn't really spend much time. What do you mean by that? Well, I think a family unit needs to kind of see where everybody falls in. It mm-hmm. could even be the spouse of like, if my dad was still alive, when mom was diagnosed, he was kind of on, on point. And mm-hmm. we had to support him. Right. So it's who is the one that is going to be with the loved one most often, be it day to day, assuming that they're caring, they start out the journey caring at home. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the one who is face to face with the loved one. And I call them, you know, who's on first. Mm-hmm. And because they are the one face to face, the sibling who just calls on the lunch hour and talks to mom and has a good conversation, which is possible in a 10 minute phone call for them to kind of fake it. They tend to start to doubt the one that's on first. Well, we need to just start out this whole team family so that they understand that you, you need to honor the person who's dedicating their time and taking care of mom and you need to respect their opinion mm-hmm. and they shouldn't have to give you a count play by play of every reason and everything that mom said that, that confirms the diagnosis that they have. Right. But right. many times it's our own denial and we tend to challenge our own siblings and, and try to get through our own fear by doubting our sibling yeah. in, in well, the I diagnosis. Think, I think that if we already have issues with siblings, which is very common in families, these kind of issues sometimes can be magnified. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of dynamics and triangulation and passive aggressive type um, scenarios that happen within families. Right. And certainly um, that's really difficult to put those aside without somebody to kind of say, you know, here's the boundaries, here's the rules, right. you know, you know, and, and what I really like about you using this as a, is a um, metaphor because it is like, you're, you're not in the family dynamic. Your, your job is to get out of it and to perform a, you know, a function or, you know, be a team member. Right. And being that team member is really key. And, giving, helping families be aware to put the other stuff aside. And that necessarily Mm -hmm. isn't the easiest thing to do. Well, it's, it's like coworkers in a way, Mm -hmm. um, someone gets sick, who's going to fill in Mm -hmm. and 
it's, it's, it doesn't always work that smoothly, but it's almost like you need an agreement, whether it has to be on paper or just a handshake, Mm -hmm. but an agreement as to who's going to step in if Mm -hmm. big sister, you know, has an emergency with her kids or whatever might happen. You have to have the plan B and someone that can help. And you, you also all need to agree whether the patient themselves can be left alone or not so that everyone understands that the one who's on first can't just go to a doctor's appointment Mm -hmm. themselves as easily as they used to. Um, and, and it's really sad that usually the person who's on first sacrifices their own health, their, their finances and all of that. Like, yes, like you did is they make sacrifices that the other siblings may not be aware of either. And, and the big thing is to try to reduce any resentment that mm-hmm. comes up during this, but it is very, unfortunately, it's very common. So yeah. you've now been thrown into business with yeah. your siblings who you wouldn't have gone into business with because you all think like <laughs> differently. Well, you know, it's interesting what you're saying this because I can relate to a scenario. My mom was from the Rat Pack generation, as you know. Um, she, you know, had her two martinis every night, you know, mm-hmm. that was her. My mom was Chardonnay. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Same thing, <laughs> same thing. And, um, to the point where she got pancreatitis yeah. and older. And of course it was really, it will, once that happens, it doesn't, the disease doesn't go away. But yeah. the thing was, is that I was, you know, buying her vodka because mm-hmm. that's what she wanted, you know? And, right. um, so this is the dynamic in the family. I was the primary caregiver. Right. And I didn't want her to live or to die a painful death because that's a very, very, very painful death. Yes. Yes. That way. Um, and so I set boundaries. I said, you know what? I'm not going to buy you any more vodka. And I had my sibling that said, I'll let her drink, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't thank I'm very grateful for my cousin who was visiting at the time. And she did say, you know what? Doesn't matter what you think. Suzanne's the one that is taking care of mom. Exactly. And so therefore, guess what? We're going to do and, and we need to support her. And so that means nobody in the family. We're not going to drink in front of you. We're not going to buy you alcohol. We're not going to do this. If I see any alcohol in your presence, I'm going to pour it down the sink. Mm -hmm. And I just told her all the things I'm going to do. I didn't tell her that she had to stop drinking. (laughs) It was like an intervention, but I basically (laughs) told her that I want her to live and and I'm not going to participate in this again. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was interesting because my mom went, okay. And she stopped drinking, which was amazing. But my sister-in-law who felt differently than the sad part was because this is family dynamics. Um, she stopped visiting my mother mm. because they used to sit and drink together. See? Right. So that was an interesting dynamic and yeah. certainly, um, when I sit back and I look at how that works within families, it's, it's, it's hard yeah. and it's hard for everybody to get on the same page, but you're right in the fact that my family ultimately had to do what I said was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You, you bring that up. It reminds me of a client that said that they were watering down mom's martinis and then mom was just like, 
who's making these drinks? This is awful. <laughs> no, Even I though dementia had set in it, she knew this is, what are you doing to my martini? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. My mom would say, I'll have a margarita. And then I'd go to the server. Luckily, my mom was hard of hearing and I'd go, virgin, please. And they'd laugh. And, and I, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you do. The Mom point is you, you do what you have to do to manage the loved one's <laughs> care. And, and it, yes. we don't always all agree on it, but you do what you think is right. And exactly. And it can be any number of those things that you think is right. And the, and the siblings and the family need to honor your decision because yeah. you're the one that deals with the outcome. Yeah. Alcohol can definitely create more havoc when sundowners hits in the early evening. Oh, so, super. Yeah. There's all kinds of aspects to this. So so tell me a little bit, what are the first steps? You know, once you get a family together and you realize who's on first and you've got people in a room, what's the first steps to cre- creating kind of that dialogue? Well, the first thing that's important is that they trust me. Mm-hmm. And so getting to know each other is really the first step. So learning mm-hmm. my history and and what, what got me to be mm-hmm. Uh, quote unquote expert or considered an expert and developing those individual relationships with each family member, because each of us are unique because at some point in this journey, I become the mediator and I may be doing coaching with a family member on why this might be a better approach than what just happened. And let's role play this and see how this can be handled better. So nobody's throwing anything or (laughs) whatever might have just happened. So that's the first thing is really the acquaintance and getting to know families. And then there's always a key person, like I mentioned, that we're trying to support. And that can be the patient's spouse. It can be a daughter, a son. It can be a, a, a granddaughter. It can be a niece. I mean, I've seen, neighbor. seen them all. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's whoever has the time and the compassion to be able to step in and do this. And then, you know, there's a point in time where care at home isn't always an option if there's a lot of friction. So then outside, you know, care is is considered Mm -hmm. or hiring someone to come in. So So do you do like touch bases with families too? Like, for example, as things progress, maybe there's challenges with what's, what do we do next kind of thing? Are you always, yeah, it's, it's like presenting a roadmap. What do you need now? And what do you need next? If they see the whole 10 year journey, that can be really overwhelming. You know, it's going to last a long time, but just what do I need to worry about next? Mm -hmm. And then keeping track. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They'll always be able to reach out to me, schedule appointments, quick text messages or communication, ongoing communication, however that, however it works. And you do uh, to work with families, you don't, you can do that via zoom. So wherever you are in the United States, um, if you have a family, um, you know, if your families are stretched out across the United States, there's still things that people can be involved in. If you have um, siblings elsewhere, and if you're involved. So that's, I think one of the great things about um, how you work with families, Faith, is you really can bring everybody together and through well, the miracles of technology. Yeah. And the one thing that COVID taught us was how to do that. But many times <laughs> family members are not all residing in the same city as the patient either. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's essential to be able to ha- communicate and right and right. keep things rolling. So 
Right. Well, we're very excited again to keep exploring this topic. So as, as you're listening to this podcast, everyone, think about your own family. And even if your uh, loved one, your senior loved one may not have dementia, may not have Alzheimer's, but do you know who's going to be on first when that time comes? Who's going to be that unit? And maybe some of these dialogues can happen early before things happen. And those are some things that we're going to keep exploring through this hour. And part three is coming up right after this. Thank you so much. We would like to thank you for joining us in this podcast. Faith is here to support you and your family on this journey. She will help you to come together in harmony, creating the best team and advocating for your loved one's care. So call Faith at 855-363-2484 to receive a $200 gift card just by mentioning that you've heard these podcasts. Again, that number is 855-363-2484. And guess what? That spells Faith, 855-3-F-A-I-T-H. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.